Madhava Kunjabihari
Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto <clears throat> 1, Chapter 7, Verse 34, and I don't know if you have access to this to read it or not, because we don't have a board. Nishantam Rajva Badva Ripam Balat Raharjanam Prakupito Bhagavanam Bujekshana Shibiraya Nishantam Rajva Badva Ripam Balat Raharjanam Prakupito Bhagavan Ambujekshana Translation and purport by Divine Grace is the Bhaktivedanta Swami Sri the Prabhupada. <clears throat> After binding Ashvatam, Arjuna wanted to take him to the military camp. The personality of Godhead Sri Krishna, looking on with his lotus eyes, spoke to angry Arjuna. Both Arjuna and Lord Sri Krishna are described here in an angry mood. But Arjuna's eyes were like balls of red copper, whereas the eyes of the Lord were like lotuses. This means that the angry mood of Arjuna and that of the Lord are not on the same level. The Lord is transcendence, and thus he is absolute in any stage. His anger is not like the anger of a conditioned living being within the modes of nature, modes of material nature. Because he is absolute, both his anger and pleasure are the same. His anger is not exhibited in the three modes of material nature. It is only a sign of his bent of mind towards the cause of his devotee, because that is his transcendental nature. Therefore, even if he is angry, the object of anger is blessed. He is unchanged in all circumstances.
ओम ज्ञान ज्ञानंजनाशलाखाया चक्षुरुन्मलितमेनाचक्षुषुपुरुवेनमीचितन Born in the darkest of ignorance, my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. Because of his causeless mercy to enlighten the conditioned souls in this material world, I offer my obeisances unto him. Name of the chapter is the son of Drona punished. Yesterday we heard about Arjuna who was blazing in anger, who went to arrest um, Ashvatam, the son of Drona, after he had um, killed uh, the sons of Draupadi uh, in the middle of the night. Um, Arjuna had gone to arrest him and his eyes were blazing in anger, so he was exhibiting anger. That's what we read yesterday. Today, uh, I'll read it again. After binding Ashvatam, Arjuna wanted to take him to the military camp. The personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, looking on with his lotus eyes, spoke to angry Arjuna. And the word, the Sanskrit word is prakupita, in an angry mood. So, praharjanam prakupito, unto Arjuna in an angry mood. So Prabhupada is pulling that out in the purport that Krishna was also angry. His anger is not exhibited in the three modes of material nature. It is only a sign of his bent of mind. His bent of mind also means his his desire, Krishna's desire, towards the cause of his devotee. Because that is his transcendental nature. So Krishna has his transcendental nature. He has his name, his uh, form, his qualities, and he has his pastimes. He has his own, as the personality of Godhead, he has his own transcendental nature. And as Prabhupada is saying here in the purport, it's very different than ours because we are conditioned, the soul, even though qualitatively part and parcel of Krishna, is conditioned under the modes of material nature, that is, uh, goodness, passion, and ignorance. So, our anger and Krishna's anger are different because of his transcendental nature. 
He is unchanged in all circumstances. So this is the 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 great endeavor of a Vaishnava is to understand Krishna's transcendental nature. Why? Because Bhagavad Gita tells us Janma karma chame divyam evam yoveti tatvata yaktvadeham punar janma naiti mam eti sarjana that by understanding Krishna's uh, transcendental nature, <coughs> divyam, transcendental, <coughs> one who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not, upon leaving his body, take his birth again in the material world, but attains my eternal abode. Arjuna. So this is the great um, endeavor of a Vaishnava is to understand Krishna's transcendental nature. We all experience anger. We know what it feels like for us. But Shastra is saying that we act under the modes of nature whereas Krishna Krishna and his anger, they're not under the modes of nature. So. The, the, the Upanishads, they, they explain, we were reading yesterday some, some little bit about the different ways to, to acquire uh, knowledge and understanding. Anuman, Praman, Shabda Brahma. These are different ways through logic, through understanding, and ultimately the Vedas are uh, advising that we understand things through Shabda Brahma, that this is the most direct way of understanding. Um, Knowledge of receiving knowledge and understanding knowledge. So Shabda Brahma means we hear, and we hear from the authoritative scriptures that speak of the positive nature of the spiritual world. So by hearing, we will, after some time, come to understand the transcendental nature, if we go on hearing. And Bhagavatam explains that in many places, that one must hear for a long time with the mood of devotion and in the, in while also doing service, devotional service. And when that is done as service, that the result will be there. That we understand the transcendental nature, divyam, Tam eva viditvati mrityum eti nanya panta vidyate naya yanaya. 
One can attain the perfect stage of liberation from birth and death simply by knowing the Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And there is no other way to achieve this perfection. Vetashvara Upanishad 3.8 That there is no alternative means that anyone who does not understand Lord Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead is surely in the mode of ignorance and consequently will not attain salvation simply, so to speak, by licking the outer surface of the bottle of honey or by interpreting Bhagavad Gita according to mundane scholarship. Again, the same point is being made. It's not by inference or speculation, anuman or any other such way that we can understand the Lord other by hearing directly about him, his name, his form, his qualities, and his pastimes. Because by hearing about those things, we will come to understand his transcendental nature. So, in the purport, Prabhupada says, Because he is absolute, both his anger and pleasure are the same. So understanding um, transcendental pleasure is also um, a great endeavor for us as Vaishnavas. We understand what is what is transcendental happiness? What is transcendental pleasure? We're all seeking happiness in this world and being frustrated uh, ultimately on our attempts. Happiness in the material world has the quality of being temporary. So there is uh, undoubtedly some happiness temporarily in, in the material field but ultimately, that happiness, because of its temporary nature, um, becomes frustrated at a certain point. Now or later, uh, it will be frustrated. That is the nature of material happiness. So also, understanding transcendental happiness is a, something that we as Vaishnavas try to do. I'll just read something from the fourth canto of the Bhagavatam that speaks to this that I've been studying in my personal personal studies. Because under the modes of nature, we have our ideas of what brings happiness. But again, we need to hear from Scripture what coming down, Shabda Brahma, what what is happiness in this material world and ultimately what is transcendental happiness. So Narada Muni is uh, speaking to King Pichni Barshak. He says, My dear King, what do you desire to achieve by, uh, by performing these fruitive activities? The chief aim of life is to get rid of all miseries and enjoy happiness, but these two things cannot 
be realized by fruit of activity. Generally, in the in the modes of nature, we are acting uh, to achieve happiness. So, Narada Muni here is saying that yes, the the chief aim of life is to get rid of miseries and enjoy happiness, but these two things cannot be realized by fruitive activity. Let's hear the purport. Prabhupada will explain more. In this material world, there is a great illusion which covers real intelligence. A man in the mode of passion wants to work very hard to derive some benefit, but he does not know that time will never allow him to enjoy anything permanently. Compared with the work one expends, the gain is not so profitable. Even if it is profitable, it is not without its distresses. If a man is not born rich and he wants to purchase a house, cars, and other material things, he has to work hard day and night for many years in order to possess them. Thus, happiness is not attained without undergoing some distress. Actually, pure happiness cannot be had within this material world, if we wish to enjoy something, we must suffer for something else. On the whole, suffering is the nature of this material world. Whatever enjoyment we are trying to achieve is simply illusion. After all, we have to suffer the miseries of birth, old age, disease, and death. Actually, Medicine is not the counteracting agent for either disease or death. Actually, medicine is not the counteracting agent for either disease or death. On the whole, there is no happiness in this material world, but an illusioned person works very hard for so-called happiness. Indeed, this process of working hard is actually taken for happiness. This is called illusion. So through our society, through our culture, through our family, we are taught about what is happiness and what is the means to achieve it in the material world. But Shastra is telling us something very revolutionarily different, that all of this work under the concept of fruit of activity, it's actually a source of distress, and it's not the real happiness. And when we take something for something that it's not, that's called illusion. So what is transcendental happiness then? So if we're seeking happiness, then it must exist somewhere the analogy is given that if you're in the desert, you're seeking after water, and the reason why you seek it, why you have the need for it, is because it exists somewhere. So what is transcendental happiness? Well, Bud says in the purport here that 
on the absolute plane, because Krishna is absolute, both his anger and his pleasure are the same. So there must be some kind of transcendental pleasure if, if Krishna experiences it. So what is it? Obviously not fruit of activities under the mode of passion, so well then what is it? So uh, now I'd like to just read from Chaitanya Charitamrita where um, this is a pastime of Lord Chaitanya speaking to Prakashananda Saraswati. Um, transcendental happiness, what is Krishna's pleasure, the nature of this divyam, the transcendental nature. Ninety-seven. This is uh, Adi Lila, chapter seven, starting from text ninety-seven. Compared to the ocean of transcendental bliss that one tastes by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, the pleasure derived from impersonal Brahman realization, Brahmananda, is like the shallow water in a canal. Then he quotes from Bhagavatam. My dear Lord, O Master of the Universe, since I have directly seen you, my transcendental bliss has taken the shape of a great ocean. Being situated in that ocean, I now realize all other so-called happiness to be like the water contained in the hoofprint of a calf. Sorry, my bad. I was supposed to start at text 83. It is the nature of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra that anyone who chants it immediately develops his loving ecstasy for Krishna. Religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, and liberation are known as the four goals of life. But before love of Godhead, the fifth and highest goal, these appear as insignificant as straw in the street. For a devotee who has actually developed love, the pleasure derived from dharma, artha, kama, and moksha appears like a drop in the presence of the sea. The conclusion of all revealed scriptures is that one should awaken his dormant love of Godhead. You are greatly fortunate to have already done so. It is the characteristic of love of Godhead that by nature it induces transcendental symptoms in one's body and makes one more and more greedy to achieve the shelter of the lotus feet of the Lord. When one actually develops love of God, he naturally sometimes cries, sometimes laughs, sometimes chants, and sometimes runs here and there, just like a madman. Perspiration, trembling, standing on end of one's bodily hairs, tears, faltering voice, fading complexion, madness, melancholy, patience, pride, joy, and humility. These are the various natural symptoms of ecstatic love of God, which causes a devotee to dance 
and float in an ocean of transcendental bliss while chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. So now he's quoting his spiritual master because he's telling the the story about when Lord Chaitanya came back from Gaya after being initiated, um, he started to behave very differently. Um, Mother Sachi even thought maybe he has some some imbalance, dosha imbalance, and they were rubbing Narayan oil and trying to give him medicine to calm him down. What has happened to Nima? But um, so he uh, naturally, when we have a doubt about something, we go to our spiritual master and present it before him. So he presented this before his spiritual master. Why? Why I'm becoming so um, unsteady in my mind when I'm chanting so intently? Why is this happening? So he's quoting now from his spiritual master, Ishwar Puri. It is very good, my dear child, that you have attained the supreme goal of life by developing love of Godhead. Thus you have pleased me very much, and I am very much obliged to you. My dear child, continue dancing, chanting, and performing sankirtan in association with devotees. Furthermore, go out and preach the value of chanting Krishna Nam, for by this process you will be able to deliver all fallen souls. Saying this, my spiritual master taught me a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam. It is the essence of all the Bhagavatam's instructions. Therefore, he recited this verse again and again. And that was the one that I, I did before. When a person is actually advanced and takes pleasure in chanting the holy name of the Lord, who is very dear to him, he is agitated and loudly chants the holy name. He also laughs, cries, becomes agitated and chants, just like a madman, not caring for outsiders. I firmly believe in these words of my spiritual master, and therefore I always chant the holy name of the Lord alone and in the association of devotees. That holy name of Lord Krishna sometimes causes me to chant and dance, and therefore I chant and dance. Please do not think that I intentionally do it. I do it automatically. Compared to the ocean of transcendental bliss that one tastes by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra, the pleasure derived from impersonal Brahman realization is like the shallow water in a canal. My dear Lord, O Master of the Universe, since I have directly seen you, my transcendental bliss has taken the shape of a great ocean. Being situated in that ocean, I now realize that all other so-called happiness to be like water contained in the hoofprint of a calf. Very small. The calves have very small feet. And when they walk in the, especially if it's been raining, then when the calf steps in the earth, it makes a little, little impression, and the water will go in there. It's a very small amount of water. 
So this is what the scriptures are saying about the the pleasure of dharma, artha, kama, and moksha. That it's uh, it's very insignificant when we think of in in terms of the transcendental happiness that uh, is available on the platform, divyam, on the transcendental platform. And this happiness is also achieved by understanding Krishna and his transcendental nature. And we do that through four mediums. His name, which was, that's what the, those verses were just talking about, by chanting his name, by his form. We have his form here on the altar, transcendental archivigrapha. Archa Vigraha form, Satchidananda Vigraha form, and by understanding his qualities and his pastimes. So, just to round it out, let's hear a little bit about his uh, qualities and pastimes. This one came up. I'll share it. So this is from the Nectar of Devotion, Srila Rupa Goswami, uh, 64 Qualities of Sri Krishna, number 26. Krishna has 64 qualities in unlimited uh, amounts. So number 26 is grave. What is grave? A person who does not express his mind to everyone or whose mental activity and plan of action are very difficult to understand is called grave. After Lord Sri Krishna had been offended by Brahma, Brahma prayed to him to be excused. But in spite of his offering nice prayers to Krishna, Brahma could not understand whether Krishna was satisfied or not. In other words, Krishna was so grave that he did not take the prayers of Brahma very seriously. Another instance of Krishna's gravity is found in connection with his love affairs with Radharani. Krishna was always very silent about his love affairs with Radharani. So much so that Baladev, Krishna's elder brother and constant companion, could not understand the transformations of Krishna on account of his gravity. So, because I like this pastime of Lord Brahma stealing the cows so much, I'll just read a little bit. So, after Lord Brahma had offered, so yeah, the story, we we probably all know the story that um, Lord Brahma became bewildered when he saw Krishna playing in Vrindavan like a ordinary boy. And he wanted to test Krishna, so he played a little trick. And he he stole the cows and the calves and the boys 
Well, one one day on the higher planetary systems is, is about a year on this planet. So, so for one day he stole the the boys and the cows, and of course Krishna proved himself by expanding himself as each one of the cows and each one of the boys, um, so that when Lord Brahma returned and he saw that the boys are still here, but I, but there I. Didn't I take them? He became very bewildered by Krishna's potency. So, and then he realized, oh, this must be my Lord Krishna. So he returned the boys and the ca- cows and calves, and then he came. I think it's at Govinda Kund in Rajmandala Parikram. I don't remember exactly, but I think it's at Govinda Kund where Brahma then came, uh, kind of humble and said, you know, offered all these prayers, amazing, beautiful prayers to Krishna. And Krishna didn't say anything. He didn't respond. So so that's why we say he's grave because Brahma couldn't understand, well, am I okay now? Is it, you know, Krishna didn't respond in that way. Beautiful pastime. Let's let's read a little bit about that pastime. After granting his son Brahma permission to leave, the Supreme Personality of Godhead took the calves, who were still where they had been a year earlier, and brought them to the river bank, where he had been taking his meal and where his cowherd boyfriends remained just as before. The word svab. Bhavam or Bhuvam, Svabhuvam, to his own son indicates that Lord Krishna forgave the offense Brahma had committed and treated him with affection. It is stated in this verse that the original cowherd boyfriends and calves were situated just as before near the bank of the Yamuna River and in the forest, respectively. Previously, the calves had disappeared within the forest and Lord Krishna had gone to search for them. Not finding them, the Lord had returned to the riverbank to discuss the situation with his cowherd boyfriends. But they had also disappeared. Now the cows were once again in the forest and the boyfriends once again on the bank of the river, ready to take their lunch. According to Srila Sanatana Goswami, the calves and boys remained in the forest and on the riverbank respectively for one full year. Lord Brahma did not actually take them away to another place. By the Lord's omnipotent illusory energy, the gopis and other residents of Vrindavan did not notice the calves and boys, nor did the calves and boys notice the passing of a year's time or feel any hunger, cold, or thirst. All this was part of the pastime arranged by the Lord's illusory potency. So in the spiritual world, we're put under illusion too, but it's a different, it's a yoga maya. It's not the illusion that we're put under, under the modes of material nature here in the material world. Everything is to increase the Lord's pastimes in the spiritual world. According to Srila Vishwanatha Chakravati Thakur, since Lord Krishna was playing exactly like an innocent young cowherd boy in Vrindavan. After four-headed Brahma offered his prayers, 
The Lord maintained his role as a young coward boy and thus remained silent before Brahma. Krishna's silence indicates the following thoughts. Where did this forehead Brahma come from? What is he doing? What are these words he keeps on speaking? I am just busy looking for my calves. I am just a coward boy and do not understand all this. Lord Brahma had considered Lord Krishna an ordinary cowherd boy and had treated him as such. After accepting Brahma's prayers, Krishna continued to play as a cowherd boy and thus did not answer the four-headed Brahma. Rather, Krishna was more interested in rejoining his cowherd boyfriends for the picnic lunch on the bank of the Yamuna River. Yamuna So it said that Krishna reciprocates with us. Uh, he takes the form to reciprocate with us in the way that we want to love him and serve him. So he's very expert at that. So in this instance, um, he exhibited both his gravity and his um, his relational mood of He's he's he, uh, in the form of a coward boy in in Vrindavan. So, name, form, qualities, pastimes, by all these ways, we are to understand the transcendental nature of Krishna, Divyam, because Janma Karma, Jame Divyam. Evam yoveti tatva, yaktva deham punar janma, naiti mam eti suarjuna. Because by understanding Krishna's transcendental nature, we don't take birth again. Not only do we elevate ourselves in this lifetime out of the modes of nature, but when this body finally does quit, we don't take another material body. And we go to serve Krishna and his eternal pastimes. So I'll uh, read the verse again and then there's a new discussion. After binding Ashvatam, Arjuna wanted to take him to the military camp. The personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, looking on with his lotus eyes, spoke angry Arjuna. Any questions, comments, discussions, reflections? Which which one was it? Sorry. Which which one are you asking about? One about his pastimes in with Brahma. Is it that one? Oh. Brahma. That's tenth, tenth, uh, tenth canto, fourteenth chapter. The pastime of Lord Brahma. Yeah, that was the Bhagavatam. 
Then I also spoke from the Bhagavad Gita, Janma Karma Chamed Divyam Bhagavad Gita 4 9. Uh, I read from Chaitanya Charitamrita about the happiness that one uh, achieves by chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra and the symptoms of ecstasy. That's it, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Adi Lila, Chapter 7, starting at about 80, text 80. Yeah, And Chaitanya Charitamrita generally does quote back to Bhagavatam. I think the verse was the, the, the hoof print of the calf. Yeah, it's the hoof print of the calf. Very insignificant, the material happiness. Any reflections, nice devotees? Want to add or to say something? Okay, well, Srimad, uh, Grantara, Srimad Bhagavatam, Ki Jai.